So today we're going to continue our series, our, our Advent series, and we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture from Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 38. The, the book of Luke, often referred to as the Gospel of Luke, maybe you've heard it referred to that way, is, is, a, is a document, is a letter that was written by Luke. Uh, he, Luke was a physician. Uh, he was very educated and uses a combination in, in this, in this uh, document that he put together. He uses very formal language and expressions as well as casual language, but he's got a very rich sense of the Jewish culture and the Jewish history and the Jewish teachings. But he himself was a Gentile, a non-Jewish man, and, and he wrote this for a primarily non-Jewish audience. Uh, he wrote this account because many people were coming to faith and rumors were, were spreading and people were talking and Jesus is this and Jesus is that and Jesus did this and Jesus did that and that's where he was born and this is how he ties to this and he's the Messiah. And so all this information swirling around, but people's lives were being transformed. And so Luke is listening in on this and he's like, I'm gonna figure out what's going on here. He took kind of a trust but verify, verify approach. Anybody taking that? Somebody tells you something? And then you're like, hey, I believe you, but I'm going to check and make sure that this is true. And so what he does is he, he says this at the beginning of his letter at the, at the top of, of the, or the, the top of this document, the, the top of this, uh, this narrative that he wrote. He says, I've investigated all the reports in close detail, starting from the story's very beginning. So he went to the beginning, the beginning. And not just, not just the beginning of Jesus' birth, but he went all the way to the beginning as in, Adam. And so he studied the Jewish account of creation, which is the Christian account of creation, and he kind of brought it all the way through, and he brings it all the way through, all the way up to the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he says, I investigated this from the story's beginning, and I decided to write it out for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt the reliability of what you were taught. When people tell me about something in Scripture, or maybe you see something on Facebook, and you're like, oh, the Bible says this. I hope that it stirs in you a desire to go see if that's true. I hope that even here on Sunday mornings when, when we talk about Scripture, and I'm going to tell you something about Theophilus, and I hope that what you do is you, see, you hear something, and it stirs interest in you that you, you pursue on Sunday afternoon or Monday morning or, or Tuesday night. That you don't just let it go and just take it and accept it and just leave it at that. But it should, it should catalyze something in your soul to know more about Jesus and to walk closely with him. That's what I hope happens here on Sunday mornings. Theophilus uh, is basically means lover of God. And, and we don't know if it was to a specific people or to the groups. But uh, the title that's used for the most honorable, we think that it actually might be a, a very high profile citizen or a ruler of some sort if it is an individual. And he wrote it to them so that they could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what they were hearing was absolutely true. Uh, Luke, as a physician, was, was studied, and so he was well qualified to be the one to study and to document these things and to write all these things down. Because he took this approach, we learn things in the book of Luke that we don't learn in other, uh, in, in other versions of the, of, of the, not versions of the gospel, but in the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and, and John. 
And so we have some additional information there because he studied it so thoroughly that he's like, oh, this is really important. Hey, if for a non-Jewish person, they would really want to know this. For a non-Jewish person, they would really want to know this. At the same time, there's some breadcrumbs in this, uh, in this writing by Luke that help the Jewish mind understand that he, he's talking about the same person and he's not talking about somebody different. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you think you're talking about the same person, but it turns out you're not talking about the same person? And it could be that you're talking about, you think you're talking about different people, but it turns out to be the same person. That happened with, uh, with Nikki, right? Yeah, you. Um, so met Nikki on the college campus at George Mason, and I was like, oh, there's this girl, Sasha. And so I knew this girl, Sasha, and I was like, we got to talk to Sasha. She's got a lot of leadership on her life. I'm excited about God's call on her life. And somebody's like, I met this girl, Nikki, and I'm so excited about God's call on her life. And I'm like, this is awesome. We got two leaders at the same time. You know, like it was a small group of people, and it was like, this is going to, we're going to change the world. And then, you know, it turns out it was the same person. <laughs> you know, that, that happens. So Luke takes this approach, so he's saying, this is information that's going to be really important for the Jewish people to know so that they can know that I'm talking about their Messiah. And this is some information, that in, but he leaves out information that would be irrelevant or would cloud the understanding of who Jesus is to a non-Jewish person. Because if he uses too much Jewish culture and too much Jewish information and, and too many references and assumes that people know what he's talking about, he's going to lose his audience, right? I risk that every Sunday morning standing up and, and trying to share truth with you, I, I stand at risk of assuming what you know. You know, so I could be like, oh, we all know where Luke is. Well, maybe we don't. We all know that, that, that Luke was a physician. No, maybe we don't. And so I, I try and give information and leave you breadcrumbs so that you can come along with, with a, a sense of, uh, of understanding what's happening in the scripture and why, why we approach it the way that we do. So I hope that's helpful. But in the verses that we're looking at today, we're going, to be, uh, we're going to be looking at the meeting between Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, and she's about to learn this, and the angel Gabriel. It's Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give, him, will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Advent season. 
It is my greatest hope, God, and I believe it's your hope that we would be freshly stirred with a desire to know you and to surrender our ways to you, to surrender ourselves to you and truly know your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. The, uh, the birth of Jesus was a promise that was thousands of years in, in the making. It was a promise made by God that he was going to send uh, a Savior. He was going to send a Messiah who was going to conquer sin. He was going to conquer evil. He was going to overcome death. And he was going to provide a way to life. He was going to pr provide a way for people to relate to him again. See, when, when things started off, God created us with the, the idea of us being in relationship and knowing him and loving him, us being his people, him being our God, him providing, protecting, and caring for us and giving us purpose, pro providing us with destiny and supplying us with everything that we could ever need. But in, in, our, in, our, human, in our humanness, we sinned. And we ran from his plan and we decided to take things into our own hands to find our own provision. And whether you believe in original sin or not, whether or not you believe that Adam did it on our behalf and everybody after him is cursed with sin, which is what we believe, you don't need Adam's sin to be convinced of it. Because all of us in this room have run from God's plan at one degree or another. Jermaine ran real hard. Still running. Bless you, my son. No, I'm just kidding. This is why I hesitated to do Facebook Live or any video. I'm sorry, Pastor Brett. <laughs> We're a multi-site church. And Pastor Brett is my boss. And he is preaching at the Chantilly congregation. And he's preaching a better version of this message there right now. <laughs> it was a promise thousands of years in the making. And... Uh, and God saw fit to fulfill this promise through a teenage girl. A promise that would be fulfilled not in a castle, not in a high, holy place, but in a barn. What I want to do today is, it's quite a bit of text. What I want to do is I want to go through the text, and I want to look at it and just make some, some observations about the text and see how God saw fit to use Mary. And then I want to talk about how that uh, this passage will help us see that God can even use you and I to birth great things that he's promised in the past and things that he desires to do in, in, in us, through us, in this community, in our families, in this nation, some of us globally, how he desires to birth these things through us even now. You with me? Yeah. All right. Uh, the first observation that I want to make is that uh, I alluded to breadcrumbs throughout Scripture that speak to people from different backgrounds. And what's neat about Scripture is that as we read it, depending on where we are in life and depending on what our background is, certain things will jump out to us. There's a book uh, called Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon. It was not written by Solomon, but inspired by Solomon. And um, it's, it's a really depressing book for, for many of us. 
But then for, because he's, like, he's, he's wrestling with the idea that maybe God isn't really alive. Maybe there is no God. And he draws the solution that everything is vanity. Well, to one person, you look at that and you're like, wow, somebody needs to give him some Prozac. But to somebody else, you'd read it and you go, I feel this way. I understand that feeling. I can identify with this. And it'll draw you in. And so scripture will hit you different places at different times in different ways based on where you are and what your culture is and what your background is. And some of the, uh, some of the nuggets in this passage are where he says, of the descendants of David. Well, if you don't know who, who David is, it doesn't mean anything to you. But the David that he's referring to is King David. And God had made a promise to David that he was going to have a descendant who would sit on the throne forever. And so this Messiah, this one that thousands of years in the making, this promise thousands of years in the making was going to come in the line of David. And people were watching this line of David, hoping and desiring and longing for the consolation of Israel, longing for this Messiah to come and deliver them from, from the meaninglessness of pain and sorrow or what felt that way. And so he's saying, it's one of the descendants of David. And then later in the passage, he talks about it again. He's going to say he's going to rule forever in the line of David, on the throne of David. To a Jewish person, it's saying, hey, that, that Messiah that's promised to come is going to happen. That's what happened through Mary. He is the fulfillment of this. You see, there's actually a lineage that talks about Joseph's line from David. And you can kind of see, oh, my goodness. This is the same thing happening. This same person who's promised to redeem the Gentiles is the same person who was promised to the Jewish people. Anyway, I'm kind of geeking out, but it's pretty cool. That phrase was really important because it highlights the fact that Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy that had been made to his descendants thousands of years before. This message comes via Gabriel, who is an archangel. And, you, you know, I don't have no desire to see an angel in my lifetime. The kind of angel I want is the kind where it's like entertaining angels unaware. Like, I want the kind of angel that's like a person, and you're like, did that just happen? You know, like, I want the kind of angel that changes my tire and then disappears. <laughs> that's what I'm for. You know, they pay for your food, and then you're like, hey, thank you. Oh, where'd you go? That was a cool angel. Just paid for my dinner. That's the kind of encounter that I want. Because what you'll see in Scripture is every time an angel appeared, the people were terrified. So if you meet somebody who meets angels, and they don't have some dread in their eyes, it probably wasn't an angel. It was probably like a Krispy Kreme hangover. You know, just kind of like, oh, yes, I think I saw an angel. No, I don't think you did. Because it would be terrifying. I mean, these archangels... Could, in, there's, in, the, in the Old Testament, there are these accounts where they, where they killed entire armies overnight. I mean, it's terrifying. So I want a happy angel. But this angel shows up to Mary, and he may have been in human, in human form, or, or, you know, he walked up to her, and he's, he says, but, but Mary's a virgin. Mary is the third most popular character in the Christmas story, isn't she? Like right behind Jesus and the little drummer boy. It's Mary. 
And I'm not saying the little drummer boy wasn't there. I'm just saying we don't see it in the Bible. (laughs) And the only account of animals singing or talking or doing anything like that was Old Testament. And an angel was involved in that one too. So maybe the angels sang, the, the animals sang. Doubtful. That's not in Pastor Brett's outline either. So here she is, this virgin in a small and significant town, this teenage girl who has no significant standing in society. And this angel appears to her and says, Hail, favored one. Greetings, favored one. Have you ever wondered why God chose Mary? Maybe, maybe it was her piety. Maybe she won the Bible Bowl. Maybe it's the way she held her hand during worship or didn't hold her hand during worship, depending on your background. Did she follow all the rules? Did she satisfy God's perfect requirement? My sense from from all of Scripture is that it's not those things, though her piety played a role. But it wouldn't be because of her piety because God seemed very pleased to use people who were like King David, who was far from perfect. To use Joseph, who was not perfect. To use Jacob, who was not perfect. To use, to use anybody in Scripture who also was not perfect. The answer is in the greeting. He says, Greetings, favored one. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The reason that God chose Mary, this is going to be real deep, is that God chose Mary. Did it it sink in? It's that God was with her that qualified her to be the one who would do this. It's that God chose her. And it's going to be really encouraging to you later. Mary's perplexed. What, me? She was perplexed, confused by the greeting. She knew who she was. She knew who she wasn't. It's kind of confusing. Have no fear. So there was definitely concern. That's why I wonder if it was an angel in man form or if it was Gabriel appearing as Gabriel. But either way, she got this high greeting. And at the same time, being told that God was with her and that God had chosen her to do a thing, and she's like, whoa, whoa. says, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. You're going to bear a son and he will be great. He will, in fact, be the son of God and and he's going to be all of these things. He's going to fulfill promises that had been made and she would have heard this coming and, you know, every, every mom wants to believe that her child is this, right? 
great, the son of God. You're like, please. <laughs> Inherit a throne. Yes, please, again. His rule will never expand or will ever expand and never end. Yes, please. Your son's going to be the president, run a major corporation, be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. Like this, she's, but, but it went beyond that too. He's going to fulfill thousands of years of prophecy. He's going to be basically the promised Messiah. I love, I, love, I love her question. She's like, cool, I got it. My son's going to be amazing. How is this even going to happen? I'm a virgin. The Holy Spirit's going to do this. The Holy Spirit's going to do this thing through you. You just need to be available. And to, to encourage Mary, he says, and let me just encourage you, miracles are possible, and let me tell you about this miracle that's already happening and is already in occurrence so that you can go and be encouraged by it. You ever been encouraged by somebody else's miracle? You're going through a tough time financially, and then you find out that somebody else had gone through a tough time financially, and God brought them through? You ever been going through a tough time in your marriage only to find out that somebody else has gone through a tough time in their marriage and God saw them through? You ever just been mad at your kids and then you realize that everybody's mad at their kids? (laughs) Just kidding. That's not how that was supposed to end. And you find out that God saw them through? says, be encouraged. This other miracle's already in the works. And Mary's faith was encouraged. Mary says, I'm in. I'll do it. I'm good for it. Let me in. Now, this is just the way that I, that I, that I read the Bible and the way that I think about the Bible because we should be thinking critically and asking questions of it and drawing some stuff out. But sometimes I ask questions that are just dead ends that have no value at all. And like one of the, one of the questions I've asked is, is, I wonder if God asked anybody else <laughs> who was in the line of David. You know, and they're like, nah. Or what's it gonna cost me? Or, well, that's gonna cost me too much. I'm not willing to do it. You know, we can ask questions like that. I can't hang my hat on any of those things, right? Because it doesn't have a clear answer in Scripture. So I'm not going to build a, a theology or a, a doctrine on questions like that. But they're, but they're good to ask, and we should interact with it. You know, if you interact with a, with a TV show that deeply, who done it? Who did, who's going to do it? How is this going to resolve? What's going to happen? Did they kill that person, or did they kill that person, or are they still alive? Or did they come back alive? Like, if we're going to ask these questions about books and movies and theater, we should, we should be at least as passionate about asking questions about the Bible. We should be at least as passionate about going to Scripture and being like, I wonder how this happened. I wonder how this resolves. I wonder what promises are being fulfilled. What, this promise was really made to David? Where is that promise made to David? Show me. So, so we, should, we should be asking questions. And, you know, like I said, sometimes I chase things down a, down a path and then, you know, I'll spend a day and a half chasing something down and realize it was worthless. And then sometimes I'll chase something and I'm like, this is so big, I can't finish it this week. It turns out the book of Luke is really amazing. If, if you, I, I might post something on, on Facebook. May, yeah, I'll just do that. Remind me, I'm gonna post something on Facebook. It's just an article about how amazing the book of Luke is. 
And, and it's just from, from how it's written to why it's written to who it's written to. It is, it is a fascinating book. And, you know, I found myself, you know, caught up. And I was like, oh, wait, I'd better keep working on my sermon. So ask, ask questions of Scripture as you, as you study. She says, I'm in. I'll do whatever you want. Be it done to me according to your word. God wants to birth things through you and I as well. And, and in this account, I see, some, I see some lessons that we can take about God's plan for birthing things, for creating things through you. I see some lessons that it's just, and it's going to be five points. They won't be on screen, so you're going to have to write it down or take mental pictures. I guess not mental pictures because there's nothing to look at. Some ways that God works to work through us, okay? Step one, and this is absolutely critical. Everything hinges on this. You must be a virgin teenage girl <laughs> to be used by God to birth great things. <laughs> there was no metaphor. I was trying to be funny. But I guess it does make a great metaphor. Can't think too highly of yourself. No, number one, God is gracious towards us. God's grace, when we really start to understand it, is absolutely perplexing. When I think about what I've done, when I think about what I've thought about, when I think about how I've lived, and then I think about the fact that God loves me, I'm perplexed. It's this, it's this perplexion. Cool, perplexion. It's this perplexion that keeps many of us away from a relationship with God. How could he love me after I? But I, but I, but I. And God's like, but I. I love you anyway. And this is the beauty of his grace towards us is that it's not based on how good we are or how well we've done or how pious we are, but it's based only on how good he is and how great he has been for us and how much he's done on our behalf, as Pastor Eddie pointed out earlier. He did the heavy work and the heavy lifting. He did the, the he poured out his blood, sweat, and tears so that we could be righteous. Cool fact, the word that Luke uses to describe Mary as a favored one is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says this about the believers. God predestined us for adoption as his sons and daughters 
through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious one, which he has freely given us in the beloved one. The same means by which Mary is chosen is the same means by which we are chosen. The same description that's used to talk about why Mary was chosen is the same word, it's the same idea that's used to define why God would choose us. In Luke, it's, it's translated as favored one. In Ephesians, when it speaks about us, it refers to as freely given. The love and the forgiveness and the power of God is freely given. And that's why I have confidence that God can birth things through me. Because it's not dependent on me. Side note, it probably won't be an angel that brings you the plan. But God's plan, this is number two, God's plan is bigger and better than your plan. So first is that God is gracious towards us. His favor is for us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he has done and how great he is. God's plan is bigger and better than your plan. If you can, if you can comfortably conceive of the plan that God has for you, it's probably not God's plan. I can comfortably conceive of of having a million dollars. I'm good with that. I'm comfortable for that. I will gladly put up with the inconveniences of having a million dollars. You're like, what about the taxes? I've got a million dollars. Or at least a cool 500K left after taxes. But I've still got 500K. You feeling me? I am terrified of talking to my neighbors about my faith. Which one do you think is God's dream for me? Harder question, which one's bigger? Dream big. A million bucks, God, that'd be real cool. And he's like, no, dream bigger. My neighbors? Yeah. You see it? His dream is bigger and better than ours, but, but his values are different than ours. In addition to that, that fact that it's bigger than ours and the fact that his dream for us is far greater than anything that we would make up, I want to say that it'll probably cost you more than you would be naturally willing to give. In Mary's case, she signed up for this and it would cost her her reputation. It wasn't okay to be a pregnant virgin. It wasn't okay to be married or unmarried and pregnant. She and her young family would become refugees. Her son would be ridiculed. She would be ridiculed for her life and her son would be murdered after being falsely tried. He would eventually rise from the dead. I say eventually, I know it was a short period of time, but your son's been dead for three days. That's an eternity. 
cost her a lot more. I told somebody the other day, we were, or a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the call to ministry. And I was like, hey, cool, yeah, just sign this document. This is your contract of full-time ministry. And I just put a line at the bottom of the piece of paper with no text. And I said, we'll just fill it out as we go. It's going to cost you a lot of really early mornings, interrupted sleep, late nights, long hours, out in the rain, working on holidays. You know, really, it's whatever you don't want to do, you're going to do. That's not true. I mean, I do what I want to do. I'm not complaining. I don't need whatever. The thing that's not in this, and, and I'll try and speed up a little bit so we can keep moving, but uh, the thing that we don't see in this passage is the bewilderment that comes from having your plans messed with. You know, Mary's like planning a wedding. Her head is in like the seating arrangements. She's trying to figure out who a rabbi should sit next to at the dinner. She's fighting about her parents. She's fighting with her parents about, you know, they're inviting too many friends to this to the ceremony. Trying to figure out which glass she was going to stomp on. At the end of, actually, cool fact, that didn't happen until after Jesus died and rose from the dead because stomping on the glass is tied to the destruction of the temple, which was destroyed after Jesus died and rose from the dead. That's free. <laughs> she needed something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. Blue? Is that a thing? <laughs> Stick to the notes. The next, the next promise. Oh, so, so God messes with her plan in a huge way. But he wanted to do something far greater than she could have ever dreamed. And God's going to do the same thing for you and me. The third thing is that God will confirm his plan. For Mary, it was Elizabeth, who was also pregnant by miracle. This does not mean that everybody will see or understand the dream that God has given you. It does not mean that it's going to be without bloodshed and tears. It does mean that he will confirm it. Now, don't just look for the voices that are going to agree for confirmation. I could probably pretty easily find some people who would agree with me that God wants to give me a million dollars. It might be harder to find some people who would agree with me that God wants me to give a million dollars. Right? Neither of those things are something that God's put on my heart or I wouldn't be treating it flippantly. But there are people in my life who I can go to and say, hey, this is what I feel like God is pressing on my heart. How do you feel about this? Does this resonate with you? Can you, can you confirm this? Can you, can you tell me that, is there a trouble with this? God will use other people to confirm it, but then he'll also provide objective confirmation as well. You know, if he wants, if he wants me to have a house, he'll probably provide the money or just the house. He'll make it happen. I love that about God's promises. He's like, I'm going to do it. 
when I do it. That's what he told the Israelites when he was going to deliver them from Egypt. He's like, this will be your sign. It's going to happen. <laughs> Thanks. The next thing is that God will see it through. Mary's like, hey, God, I'm your girl, but uh, what you're asking me to do is like something impossible. God's like, hey, girl, I'm your God. And I've taken care of everything. And I'm going to see this through and I'll make sure that nothing can thwart it. Because remember, this is a promise that was thousands of years in the making. He wasn't going to let Mary, <laughs> and he's choosing a, an insignificant, culturally insignificant person on purpose. And he's not going to let, he's not going to let the fact that she, she's not a princess and not, not royal and not rich and not all of these things get in the way of doing what God wants to do. God won't let what you're not get in the way of what he wants to do is all I'm trying to say. My, my, last, my last thought about this passage and about God birthing great things through us is this, that to be used by God, we must surrender. Mary being chosen by God was at God's choosing. Actually being used by God was contingent on her surrender. God's chosen us to be adopted as sons and daughters. The only thing required to make that into a reality is for us to surrender. After we've come to a place of surrender and we're in relationship with Jesus, the rest of it opens up. Because now as sons and daughters, we have at our disposal and to our access the resources of the creator of the universe to do the things that he desires to do. For Mary, it was to fulfill a promise that he had made to all of creation. For you and me, it, it, might, be, it might be funding orphans, orphanages, going on missions trips. For you, it might be a call to full-time ministry vocationally. For some of you, it's a full-time call to ministry in the workplace. For some of us, it's gonna be starting companies. For some of us, it's gonna be starting, start, uh, going as missionaries forever. For some of us, it's gonna be sending missionaries short-term. For some of us, it's gonna be owning companies and funding ministries forever. One of the things I love about the, the power and the love of God and the choosing and the call of God is, is how it's unified and that we're all called to be his, but then it diversifies and that we're all sent out to do different things and we make up this beautiful mosaic called the church that, that is the bride of Christ, that is the hands and feet of God. I wish I could explain that better today. But I guess that's what we have tomorrow for, right? To clarify, we don't have a service tomorrow. <laughs> so that you can study on your own. 
and figure out about why God is so amazing.